everybody. Welcome to Booksmitten. It is so wonderful to have you out there to talk children's books with us once again. We are happy on this podcast. We are hopeful and we are looking at the world through uh, children's picture books. And this year, we're trying to write some on our own through the Booksmitten Challenge. And in amongst uh, the podcasts where we're talking about our own writing journeys, we are getting to interview some tremendous guests. Kelly, you had the opportunity with Heather and Jack to uh, take part in a wonderful interview. Can you tell us about our guest? Absolutely. Yeah, we have the we have the privilege of speaking with Joanna Parzaconis, and she is the owner of BookBug in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, beyond that, she's a lover of books. She's a mom, and she really gave us um, an inside look at the bookseller. Beyond that, her personal life as well, and how books have been such a relationship builder for her. What she sees on the horizon. Um, and just really what she loves about picture books. She throws in some advice for us, too. So if we are all ready, let's listen in. Hi, Joanna. <laughs> so good to see you. Um, you and I have always had such a great relationship, and I enjoy um, every time I visit your lovely bookstore. And so I'm happy to have you here so that we can pick your brain about books, your relationship with them. And then for us in particular, um, picture books and how that plays a role in what you put on your shelves. So thank you so much for joining us. And I will dive right in and just ask if you could talk to us about your relationship with books. When did that start? Um, how has it evolved and changed over time? And then we'll, of course, get to what led you to open your own bookstore. Right. Well, so much of that answer is combined into one thing. I mean, as, as a young child, I loved language. That was something um, that I didn't, I didn't know how to say, but I knew that when something beautiful, when I either heard something beautiful in my head or on the screen or anywhere, right? Like a, a sentence. Language was always something that was so curious to me. And I wanted my language to mimic some of the beautiful expressions that I heard. Often that was in books, right? The, because of the patience you can have with a book or the privacy that you can have with a book. So that for me was a pretty sacred experience when I was young. I did not identify as an avid reader. I didn't have... Um, loads of books in my house. I, I had plentiful books. Certainly it was something that my mother prioritized my having, but I don't relate to many booksellers and maybe authors and writers who say, I just read and read and read all the time so much, right? I had the books that I cherished and I had the the phrases and the um, words that I cherished or the realization that when a teacher said something beautiful, I wanted her to say it again. Um, so that that's more at the heart of my love of story and my love of connection, because for me, it was done through language from a very young age, um, not so much through visual experiences, though I, I, everyone has those. But for me, I, I wasn't drawing things. I was writing. I was taking notes. I was listening um, to language even more than music. Right. So that's sort of at the heart of my love for reading and story and and a pivotal moment in my reading experience I you know I read a whole lot and I loved actually most of the books that I read that were assigned to me I just even if they were assigned it felt like wow I'm I get to be in this story I get to be with this internal voice of this character um, and it was just a joyful experience for me. So I also wasn't a reader who was like, oh, I didn't like everything that I was reading assigned in English in high school. I, I really did. And I did in college, too. Uh, so it wasn't until I graduated from college that the joyful sort of fiction experience, I was I permitted myself to, to buy my own books mm. just based on <laughs> what I wanted to read and was stunned at contemporary fiction, at yeah. the fact that... Uh, fiction writers were writing about a contemporary experience. That wasn't something I often had even as a child or as a um, reading a lot of historical fiction and 
and fiction written as contemporary fiction in the 20th century, but not during my experience of that century. So that uh, broadened my love for what story could do and how essential fiction was for me. Um, But really what I always talk about in the moment of how I changed in my relationship to story was, I know this is going to sound cliche, but when my first daughter was born was the first time I had the experience on many levels of not knowing what to say, (laughs) not knowing how to connect with a person that I actually was seemingly in charge of, right? I had the responsibility (laughs) to, and I was at a loss, really a literal loss for language. I, I was, I had this strange experience of holding her and not knowing how to talk to her, like feeling like, what, what do I do? How do I communicate? Um, So you turned to books. I did. I mean, I did, But, but selfishly it was about me. Right. But I started reading the New York times book review for the same reason I was reading it for myself. I started right delving into the, the children's book section and I was like, oh my gosh, people are writing amazing picture books or people are reviewing that. I love writing, I reading book reviews. I really always have. So I would read that section and I would say, oh my gosh, I get to read some of these books now. And I think this might be something that I can do that will help me with my anxiety about not being able to speak, literally not being able to speak. I could take care of her. I just wasn't really talking to her. <laughs> Cause I didn't, I wasn't convinced she could hear me. I was just, yeah, it was, it was very surreal for me. Um, so that was, so then I would go to the bookstores and the library often. I mean, story time was my comfort Oh yes. for me. <laughs> um, I know that she got a lot out of it too, but it really was, I, I had to serve myself in those early days of motherhood. And I leaned on books in the same way that I did previous to that. Um, but yeah, then my love for, for what language could do in a, in its brevity, in its, um, specificity to its page, in its, um, companionship to art, which I grew to appreciate more so than I ever had as a child, even though I did have picture books and illustrated books as a child, I often would sort of not pay too much attention to the illustrations. (laughs) It was just the kind of reader I was. I would, I would appreciate them and like they would carry the story forward, but I wasn't looking very closely at them, I realized. And I began to a little bit more. And then I did so even more as my, as my children, especially my second daughter, uh, really showed me how to read, uh, in a visual way. Um, she is a visual learner and she would recognize so much more in the visual story than I would. Um, and I guess that's another part of, of my role as a bookseller and my love for um, picture books really is informed by her experience coming of age as a reader um, and recognizing how literate she really was in decoding the story of a picture book and then from a pretty early age too, what the, um, the school was telling her about her not meeting the literacy yeah. goals that mm-hmm. were supposedly the benchmarks of literacy. So for me, it was, it was overwhelming to experience that for her to come home and say, I don't know if books are for me anymore because school is asking me to do them this way. And I, I love looking at them. I, she's never didn't love story time. She always wanted to be reading a book, um, reading a book. And I would call it reading a book when she was five and six and even seven, uh, unable to really have a, um, a comfort with decoding the language on the page until she was closer to eight years old when she was, she built that better, but she was always, and she still does, uh, tell stories, with graphic images and recognize extraordinary details and movement in the story in the images. So that broadened my awareness of what, how essential um, illustrated work is and how amazing a a well-crafted picture book is in both its efficiency with language, its rhythm, its turn page, its capturing both a reader like her and a reader like me who, who love both, but need one maybe a little bit yeah. more to carry and then recognize 
both together is just, I think, I think picture books are among the highest art forms. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I really like your story resonates with me because my second child also um, had trouble doing regular reading, but he loved books and he would read books sometimes for hours, not being able to actually read, mm-hmm. but spend time with them and commune with them and know the stories. And he didn't read till he was 10. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but I, I knew he loved books and I knew we'd get there. And picture books, they play an unbelievably important role for, for all ages. And for kids to know that just because you're six or older doesn't mean you're done with picture books. You know, Absolutely. a good picture book is never ages out. Mm-hmm. And what an important point that you brought up, especially with our challenge this season in writing picture books. I've never heard it said that way, but it is a true, beautiful marriage that you really don't see anywhere else. And that can capture so many different types of learners and readers because you're putting the two things together. So, man, I'm blown away already. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, I, and I, I feel like I was definitely, um, and still am, one of those readers that, like, it's like when I read a graphic novel, I, like, pay less attention to um, the actual imagery and more to, to like, you know, cause, cause it's its own language, mm-hmm. right? It's like, you, you kind of just like absorb it. And, and I, I imagine that like, you know, some of that, uh, new appreciation of the visuals and picture book books has to do with the fact that you're probably like reading these stories to your kids over and over and over again too. Right. Um, that there's like, yeah, that you, you, you see new things on every, every reread. Well, there definitely is that comfort, especially in the toddler years and preschoolers too, of the picking up the book, you know, and the comfort of, of that being a familiar friend, um, which can frustrate parents, I know, but then, and ultimately becomes, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it, it can really, and, and it doesn't, I don't think it breaks sort of a child's willingness to discover a new book, but it really is such a strong um, healthy thing for a child to do, to need to mm-hmm. have what, what they know. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, it, it also is then just a symbol and a, a more than a symbol. It's a, it is fundamental to your relationship. Right. And that's what I think I've found as my kids have come to age two. And, um, you know, my first daughter is now, um, just completed her college applications and, and then not with my, guidance um, at all chose to write about the impact uh, picture books had on her, wow. her coming of age wow. and Whoa. her sort of wow. understanding of, <laughs> but, and, and it's not that she, I don't know, actually. I mean, Nina, Nina's an avid, what I would say more of an avid reader than I even was. She really does just read so fast and love story and is really like welcoming to all different kinds of story in a ways that I wasn't necessarily as young as her, but she, I think what she recognized in her relationship to picture books, especially was that they were foundational to her understanding of how to build a relationship, which is what, right. Mm. What I leaned on them for, because I didn't know how to build a relationship with her. And, but more than that, she, I think understood, right. The types of books we were reading really gave her a a vantage on the world that she didn't quite have partly because she was very young. um, But also that she didn't understand yet, like, um, what it meant to be a girl <laughs> and then started to understand that as defined by, um, you know, a young girl in a picture book who was told she couldn't do something um, and understood that like visceral injustice of being told you're not allowed to do something because you are this thing. Right. So that those kinds of things that she then grappled with in this essay for her college applications of of like, who am I and how did I understand, how did I come to understand who I am and what my responsibility is to the world? Um, Which, right. And so not that, that it sounds like a wow moment, but it really is just a matter of fact, like we needed picture books, both of us did. And they were such a, um, a part of our relationship and a part of how we could move forward together that it feels like what's more, more important than that. Right. And when, when I think about her now, especially and my younger daughters also in different ways, what skills do they need to sort of take care of themselves now 
in in a world um a changing world and a you know and the most essential ones to me are the ones of how we interact, right? And how we know each other and how we offer grace and how we offer grace to ourselves, which many picture books uh, grapple with. And that just seems some, like something she has. I have no, I have no worry for her being able to say, I have lots of worries about all, every problem she will encounter, but I have no worry about how she will sort of understand those problems in the context of what do I need? How can I, think about not how to solve the problem, but how okay it is to have problems and how okay it is to recognize injustices um, and necessary. Um, Wow. I'm just blown away with this whole idea about relationship that you're talking about, because I do feel as if when I, in my family, books are a member of the family. Mm-hmm. And how I parent includes books as an equal partner. I mean, my husband and I are raising our kids, but books are also raising our kids. And mm-hmm. I think it's like inviting extra voices into our family to help, as you say, help kids sort and understand the world. And sometimes for the adults too, you know, r- being raised on in a certain time period in a certain neighborhood, having new books coming in, it helps expand our our minds too. So we're we're all growing up together and. I can't imagine raising children without books as part of the family. So I, I know you and I have had a lot of talks, Joanna, about what led you to um, starting your bookstore. Obviously, books were a part of your life and you, you were using them even with parenting. Um, your kids were young when you encountered this, this venture. So could you share with us what led to um, this is a bookstore book bug. Yeah. So book bug, you know, was again, a pretty somewhat selfish endeavor, but it was very much inspired and propelled by, um, the amazing sort of announcement that Kalamazoo made or amazing to me. Right. I was living on the East coast at the time. Um, I had, you know, college wasn't too far in my past and paying off yeah, I know where this is going. Yes. <laughs> um, so the, the announcement in Kalamazoo, which I had, I knew of Kalamazoo relatively well, I, but I didn't grow up in the area. Um, and, and for me as a lover of um, urban areas, it certainly was a, a smaller feeling um, town. It wasn't somewhere that I imagined um you know, finding a job or being able to, you know, I, it just wasn't on my radar. But in 2005, which was the same year Nina was born, um, at the end of that year was when the promise was announced. And it was also when I came to sort of obsess a little bit, both about the number of books I needed to help me in those moments of new parenthood. And then imagine what if I helped others? Like, how can I do this? And can I open a little store and can we, can I do this? And can I focus on this that is helping me right now? So I was reading a lot and then I was just dreaming a lot as when we were, and then when the promise was announced, it really gave me this energy to say, I wonder if this town in Michigan would be a place to convince a community that it deserves a specialty bookstore, right? That, um, that the kids in Kalamazoo who have just been told the financial burden of higher education is is taken away from you. Um, if they also, if I could help support that by giving, wow. um, I love that story. Of, yes. <laughs> so so that was it was a launching point, and also there was lots of other practical components of moving from the East Coast to Kalamazoo that felt like wow, the numbers kind of make this interesting, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> numbers that felt intimidating in terms of you know a dream, a really lofty, unreachable dream of opening a small business to moving to a community where the affordability of doing that and though not the risk, I won't say that I didn't feel nervous or like it was a risk, especially that year that we opened. Um, and it wasn't like the Michigan economy was doing well at all at that time. <laughs> um, but it was this safety net. And I did feel this um, from the promise, right? I felt like oh, there's there's something more than just what all this money that has been donated and that is um, funded in perpetuity for these kids. It's something uh, more spiritual that's happening that, that I, right. 
sensed from afar, but then I could feel in the, you know, even in the looking for a place to live and the um, uh, visit to the museum or the, the things that I sought out early on in my own sort of cultural shock of moving to a smaller area and feeling like I need to feel connected and make sure that so yeah, just to chime in for for our listeners who uh, live outside of Michigan, Kalamazoo Promise uh, is this. Uh, it's uh, these donations, this pledge from anonymous donors to provide a hundred percent tuition for any graduate of Kalamazoo Public Schools. Is that accurate? It is, it, and it's a it's a blanket promise. There's no um, there's no need to achieve a certain grade point average. There's no um, income requirement. It is something that is all inclusive to every child who attends Kalamazoo Public Schools. So it's meant as both a um, as an incentive, but as a a, pro- a true promise. Like we, this is there. So yeah, and there are yeah. right schools in Michigan, higher education mm-hmm. institutions in Michigan, of which there are many fantastic ones and Absolutely. and achievable ones for many students. So right, and again, this was I wasn't even honestly thinking about my children at that time. I was thinking about me, right? Like about a community that I might want to live in. Um, certainly, my kids will benefit greatly and our family will benefit greatly from the promise itself. But, and as I've told others before, this was um, 15 years ago, right? Or longer ago. Um, My idealism about handing books or like building a bookstore that would be a a haven for the community has, has panned out on many levels. And also I didn't, I didn't understand right? A lot of the obstacles that so many, um, so many young people face (laughs) um, in accessing story and believing that story is for them. Yeah. I hadn't yet had the experience of a parent who loves books and who provided books actively of a child coming home and saying books aren't for me, right? There are so many levels of things that I didn't understand in what my obligation was. Like geographically, I didn't understand how Kalamazoo was organized, I didn't understand, and I should have, you know, how segregated our community is, like many communities um, geographically, how um, underfunded our public school system is to even provide contemporary story, right? So, I mean, there were lots of things that were like, oh, this is this is not going to be as easy as it seems, right? Um, and... A lot of progress. We have, BookBug has made a lot of progress in nurturing that relationship with Kalamazoo Public Schools. Kalamazoo Public Schools has definitely grown in its um, commitment to ensuring access to contemporary books for students, which is a huge win um, on many levels. Um, so can, can you talk a little bit more about ways that everybody's working so that more kids can access stories and particularly contemporary stories? What, what, what sort of stuff are the barriers and what's going on to try to confront that? I think one of the main barriers I was aware of early on is how under, understaffed and under-resourced um, institutions are that sort of are responsible for the greatest number of people. <laughs> Um, and this isn't unlike any other community, I'm sure. But, um, you know, for KPS, you know, there were three or four administrators at most who would review book lists and make curriculum decisions about where books would find their way into the schools. Um, many of these book lists, by because either these, right, education professionals who are, are you know, <laughs> educated in their roles, but not necessarily experts on books and or readers, active readers of contemporary books, um, were tasked with buying all the books, right? So the with the limited time and resources they had, they were using book lists that were 20 to 30 to older oh, wow. years old. <laughs> um, so when I first received, which took a while too, when I first received even an opportunity to quote um, a a curriculum order, I was stunned at wow. how many of the books weren't current wow. <laughs> at all. Um, and also I had to grapple with, you know, ha- building that relationship respectfully and not um, sort of shaming an institution 
that was doing what it could or thought thought doing what it could to provide books, right? Um, so like that conversation has been ongoing and the the commitment from our former superintendent who really had an intentional program in mind, which has grown and become more successful, uh, gratefully because of the way that books are matched, but to send books home every summer for the rising third, fourth, and fifth graders in Kalamazoo Public Schools. So each third, fourth, and fifth grader is given a, a book list from which to choose, a book list that of contemporary books from which to choose what they might be interested in reading over the summer. And each of them are sent home one every two weeks over the summer. Wow. Um, alongside a postcard, <laughs> which is a, a very great thing too, because the postcard is an invitation to have a conversation with a teacher or anyone at the school about what you liked about the book or even to just say hi, right? And that so that relationship piece is is a key component of sending that book as well, like making sure that child knows that somebody is listening, right? The book is listening, but somebody also maybe wow, wants to hear what you think listen. about that book. So that that program has grown again even with that program at the outset and I don't want to sound too critical in any way. There are lots of reasons why things don't happen perfectly on big institutional levels, but um, the book lists were nowhere near what they needed to be to resonate with the students in 2012, 2013, right? And they've they've become much better thanks to a willingness and a curiosity and, and a slow building trust between myself and the store in general and some really thoughtful educators who even if they don't have the time to be reading every single book, want to do their best by the students, right? Um, and and I do think they they have come around to understanding too, doing our best by each other sometimes does mean, and it's essential, and I believe this with books entirely, like we want to read about experiences that we're having. And as a child, the world change, changes pretty quickly, right? Like already... Um, my youngest is thinking of the pandemic as like history a little bit, right? Like we're, you know, when, when she's seeing stories that are talking about the lockdown, right. Or picture books about the lockdown, it does feel historical to her. Like we're it's, that was a long time ago in the age of a child. <laughs> right. So yeah. it's still relevant and time and interesting. Right. Sure. But um, it's, it's really important. I, I think for children, especially under the age of 12, but all youth, I think, to have stories accessible to them that really are present, right? Like this is this is my life. This is what the character is doing on TikTok now. It, it's meaningful to them. That's the way their lives are. So, um, so I I don't excuse the well. I, I think the longevity of great picture books is worthwhile, but I don't excuse the curriculum buys that are like, well, this has worked for five years, or this has worked for ten years. It'll still work. And on a limited level, I think that's true. I don't think it's, it's an excuse for not finding the most current work um, for kids. Hmm. So I love the summer program and the postcard included and everything. Is, is BookBug, is your store an active partner in that? How, who are the partners that makes this whole thing work? I mean, that program is grant funded um, and again was a, a big um, project of our former um, superintendent. Yes, BookBug is involved, though it's for commercial interests, right? Like I'm not often sitting on a committee of like how these books get selected. I am asked for my recommendations on an ongoing basis. Um, I'm certainly in touch with teachers who are natural um, book lovers and who are advocates within the schools to say, let's do better. And here's right. So my relationship with the, that building of the book list is subtle, but it is meaningful. Um, a lot of those teachers do browse our shelves or do receive our newsletters and our um, recommendations on an ongoing basis. So that definitely, I hope, and I know in certain instances, peaks their interest and their um, recommendations within the school district. So yeah, it's, it's, and, and then, and fulfilling that order too. I mean, as you all probably know, an independent bookseller is a different thing from a large corporate entity. Um, one of the largest in America who does its job to really devalue books <laughs> on every level. 
so um, we know well that we we were not in business to compete on pricing or on devaluing books, and we have had to work to understand and to to help institutions understand the value of working with us, and that value does mean an economic value as well, um, so that we can stay alive, right? Our, we can stay a brick and mortar presence, which costs, and we can um, compensate our staff in a way that is appropriate and healthy. Um, so that's, again, it's a different formula in, in the book economy of America right now is has trained consumers and institutions to assume uh, a sometimes wholesale and lower value of a book, which barely pays for its production and compensates its creator. So hmm. that's that's what we're <laughs> up against in those kinds of circumstances, but we have worked successfully. And for, for the first time in many years, several years ago, KPS really gave us the largest portion of those distributions. Um, for many years, even even small portions have been very meaningful for our relatively small business. So fulfilling any kind of curriculum order is always a, a huge, um, wonderful thing for us. But to be asked to do the bulk of that distribution um, is amazing and sustaining on so many levels. Um, and that economic, right argument on a practical level of the sustainability of a partner within your community who is invested in knowing your community and invested in knowing your students and listening to your students is is a true economic value as well as a, um, a practical one. That's awesome. This is great conversation and it just triggered something um, to those who are listening and to us as authors of how that partnership between your independent bookseller in your area and as an author, how that partnership can be strong and um, mutually efficient and beneficial. So say you're an author and you're going to that city for um, school visits or conference and they need to partner with a, a bookseller to sell your books. As an author, you can say, I need it to be book bug. If I'm gonna come and do this school visit, I need book bug to be the one um, selling the book. So just something to put out there um, of ways that you can partner with your independent bookstore. And I think that's a fantastic thing to do. Yeah. Can you talk more about that, Joanna, about how you like to work with authors? Um, you know, the relationship that that really works for both sides. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the other part of building a relationship with a book. One of the biggest joys is to bring the the caring creator <laughs> and the voice of the book into the presence of, of the reader um, and allow them to ask questions about how the book was made, um, allow them to see, um, you know, the mistakes that were made along the way, allow, to bring the human experience to authorship and to creation, which I believe every child is interested in and, and, and does on an ongoing basis, their own creative work. Um, so, but to, to connect a bound book or in a finished book with a, a person that feels and that brings attention to you and makes you feel special, right? It's a kind of it's like a celebrity experience in the same way that we idolize and young people idolize who they're seeing in many other forms of media. It's, a, it's an opportunity to say, we're bringing the rock star author, illustrator into your school. And they really are treated that way. And kids, you know, the opportunity to gather and to sort of have something fun shown to them by somebody who's enthusiastic about it is, is just what they deserve. Right. <laughs> and, and to have that done about book for books brings a great value to the books. And that isn't, that's one of the easiest ways for me to say, this is a valuable book, right? Like this book at, you know, 1899, <laughs> signed copy with a message to your student yeah. is truly valuable, right? That's a keepsake forever. And it's a memory and it's a pivotal point in that child's belief in books being for them. So I love author visits in the schools. I love author visits in the store. A lot of times in the store, we have a lot more flexibility for like interactive workshops or time. Um, I love parents being able, because that wasn't something I had at a young age either or young parenthood. 
I didn't, I was reading a lot of the book reviews and things like that, but I wasn't like, you know, geeking out and going to, and I would have, right. Had I known, or had I like been in touch with that, like, like the way parents do. And that's what a lot for the the youngest, right. It's the parents who are like, Oh my gosh, right. Kristen Robinson is coming. That's amazing. We get signed copies. Um, and grandparents too. I remember my mom started to do that, you know, with certain author illustrators in the Chicagoland area. And she'd be like, well, I need the signed copy for my granddaughter. Of course. Like that's such a keepsake. And it, it is, it literally is like to have your name in a book authored by right. And signed is, yep. is a gift. So I love that. Um, and I love working with author illustrators. I love author illustrators in community, helping each other. Um, a lot of folks who attend our author events at BookBug for our creators themselves or have questions because they're working on a manuscript or think that they might want to work on a manuscript. So those opportunities to meaningfully connect on like the process of publishing and to help kids understand that that's a job that they can consider um, is really amazing. Absolutely. So I have a twofold kind of question for you. <laughs> and um, we're going to be mindful here of your time. But with all the changes that you've seen, I wanted you to go into that a little bit, specifically with picture books, since that is our challenge for the season. Um, what changes have you seen in picture books over the last couple of years? You kind of touched on this a little bit with pandemic and how that's about to be history <laughs> um, in young minds anyway. <laughs> but and then with those changes and what you see on the horizon, what decisions, what factors go into you deciding what's going to go on your shelves? Yeah, that's a great question because I'm one one of few folks who actually look at like pretty much every every large house and many small house catalogs each season. And I guess the one experience I had in this last year, especially, um, and with picture books in particular, was feeling that I was seeing a lot of the same, um, right? And or a lot of the descriptions of the picture books being canned uh, in a way that I understand, right? Like there's there's a need to say this touches on SEL, right? And to say it in this way that's like, oh yeah, that, we know that, check, 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 right? Like rather than um, really just like being stunned both by the art and the... Uh, specifics of the story and the opportunity as a, as a bookseller, which we've also seen scaled back as a result of the pandemic to engage with the full galley of the book um, to have, because every turn page does matter in a picture book. Um, and, and the way that it ends matters, right? Um, the end papers sometimes can really matter, right? Like these are things that I've grown to really be, um, appreciative of and critical of when I see it halfway or when I see it trying to mimic something that's already been done um, or fit a um, a need that we're hearing in the media that's like, we need to do it this way. Um, I guess, you know, my perspective for a long time on the SEL, and I love, I love that like sort of a lot of opportunity was given to say, we need to focus on social emotional learning. Um, the frustration I had in those moments was, gosh, every great book is a powerful social emotional tool, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. learning Absolutely. tool. <laughs> and it really is frustrating to hear this sort of label placed and or like uh, ask being made in the same way I used to be asked about like what's great for boys and what's great for girls, which would just, it still makes my stomach drop. Like how can we label a book so that it is, it meets this, expectation um, is not is not what brings me to a book, right? I, so I guess, right, like looking at great picture books, understanding what it is that feels great about them, not, and I've, I think this is said all the time to creators, but not sort of getting wrapped up in what, what is needed, what does the industry want, what is, what are people going to buy, what are curriculum objectives, and, and accessing the piece of your story that is just, you need to tell and the ways that you need to tell it and the pages that need to be turned and the rhythm that needs to be maintained in that page turn. 
And so, so that like, so that a book surprises somebody like me who reads a lot of them and, and a child and, and like wants them or makes them uh, either learn something or, or offer themselves grace or, or be empowered in some way, which all great picture books do for kids. But so that, yeah. And then, and as a buyer of books, right. Cause that's, I, I am that right. And when I see every, every sort of top title of a house being a thing, right. Uh, labeled in a way of social emotional tool or um, a, any, any other theme that it, it becomes like, well, is this, what I want to see more. I want to see something super playful and empowering. I want to see something hilarious. I want to see something with language that's rhythmic. Um, right. I, I, we need it all. Right. And we have, and kids need it all. They, they don't need one thing. Um, and they need the great biographies, right. The, the nonfiction picture picture books and things like that too. So I guess my one uh, recognition in most recent history as a, a book buyer is that I've seen a lot of houses prioritize themes over content and issues over the artistry of storytelling and um, and accessing young minds and young relationships that are being built between the you know, a caretaker and a young person. Um, and I just think that still needs to be at the core of, of every great picture book and everything else can come there. Right. And what brings the creator to the topic will be, is authentic, right? Because that, you know, that, right. You're not writing books about things you don't care about or things that you don't see in the world. You're writing them about the things that you do. So that's all and, and honor that and celebrate it. And, uh, inhabit it right in in the book as as well as you can and then it'll be there for for the reader also um yeah so and that said i've seen extraordinary improvements in my decade plus of professional review of picture books and books in general right i've seen um visuals with much greater diversity. I've seen ability to find what I'm looking for in graphic novels, right? Even, even like five years ago when we were having conversations about, um, uh, right. Graphic. Well, in the last 10 years, right. Diversity, right. We need to see more. We need to be, see more than the white middle-class ex- experience in America. And, we're not seeing it. And we especially weren't seeing it in graphic novels. And I remember asking the question at a youth conference, like where, where when will we see it? What, what are we seeing it in? And then, and the excuse being given by some folks saying, well, we're drawing the animals. Like it's not about who or what. And it's still like many of these. And, and still, I actually think they do address a middle-class experience, mm. right? I, I am looking for more books that are, are candidly talking about an, not a middle-class experience, right? Um, and not saying that's that's the norm, right? Um, so, right, I just, I think of, and I, I won't name any in particular, but like, just like <laughs> referencing, like I've got my own locker and I've got, um, you know, and I'm coming home to a parent and right, like these little things that if they are our lived experience, maybe they do feel normal. And until we realize that we're really building stories that are assuming these things and are making the child who doesn't have their own locker, which many kids in Kalamazoo do not feel like, why don't I? Um, so small things like that, like to, to sort of say, this isn't the only way schools are, right? Um, this isn't the only experience there is. And there are vibrant, exciting things happening outside of that experience. How many picture books do you think you read in a week? Um, Gosh, (laughs) I mean, not as many as maybe you would think. Uh, It's probably about 20 to 30 a week. Um, 
And I do go back to the ones that I love when I'm sort of not in a rut, but just like sometimes in reviewing the catalogs and I'll right. Part of what I don't read is the super advanced copies because the publishers aren't creating them as, as galleys the way that they used to in my experience as a buyer. So um, I do lean back onto the ones that I was reading a decade ago and saying where, who's doing something like this now, right? So that's an interesting mm-hmm. exercise for me as a buyer and it may be for creators too, right? Like if there are, um, and I love wordless picture books. <laughs> so uh, I, I do look, I haven't seen a whole lot lately as powerful as I had at a certain stage. And maybe I was, you know, I had my biases of a child who was intimidated by language and didn't want to see language on the page. So, but I, I am looking for more of that now than I had seen, um, you know, even five or six years ago. Um, I am looking for an answer to caretakers who lean on, right. Uh, you know, characters like Skippy John Jones or, um, you know, commercially recognized characters that, that are great and fun and rhythmic, but where are we, where are we now with those stories, both culturally and creatively and rhythmically and with humor? Um, so that the, the, the thing that feels stale to me or like, oh, are we still reading Skippy John Jones? Um, not again, not just, but to say like, what's the answer now? So I, there's so many different things that I'm looking for as a buyer and there's so little to shy away from as a creator. Um, and I think especially in the books that inspire, I still think of Jacqueline Woodson as a, an amazing crafter of language in line with the turn page, in line with um, story. Uh, so, right, I'll, lo- I'll lean back on some of her longer text picture books to say, to, f- to try to find, right? Like, who now? Who, or, or what now? Not just what is Jacqueline creating, which is continues to be excellent, mm-hmm. but... W- where are the creators finding that confidence and those rhythms to place more text on the page and know that it's compelling and keeping a young reader captivated and invested in the story alongside, you know, a spread that they may look at for a solid five minutes. Um, So those kinds of things. And again, that's where where I'm losing out. I'm not seeing physically as many um, publishing houses come to my, to my store. I hope to, that will change again in the next couple of years. Um, but literally I used to get boxes of folded galleys, the F and G's of picture books. Um, and then at least I would be able to look at first two pages, right. And know if the language was compelling and if the art was going to do something, what the title was. So when I'm looking at them in what is called Edelweiss now, it's, it's much briefer, right. I'm looking at two or three spreads, Sometimes I am if if it's if the spreads are great and I'm like oh that language sounds great but I I do risk because every page matters right yeah. I risk not knowing how it ends I risk like does the language fall at some point does it feel inauthentic right so this is brand new information to someone who's not a book buyer right. but what you're saying is that even just a few years ago you used to get boxes of early releases of a of a about to be published book and you could see the whole thing mm-hmm. in your fingers. And mm-hmm. now you only get a couple snapshots of the first few pages and you're supposed to make a decision on that. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is different. <laughs> yeah. Cause especially with a picture book, how it ends and how it carries through the whole story is so essential as we're finding, as we're creating them, like we yeah. can get bogged down <laughs> in the middle. Right. Yeah. The end strong. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to start strong. I think. Mm-hmm. Which is why, yeah, and some of them, and I guess if this is advice for you in creating the content of what a buyer is going to look at, like if, if a snapshot of the actual language can be offered and if a indication of the ending can be offered, even if it's a spoiler, it is better <laughs> than not from my vantage. Um, 
because yeah, those kinds of things for thoughtful, especially children's books buyers. And I know that many bookstores, right, are spread thin in this process too. Um, so I, I don't know, honestly, that anybody was reading every single galley, but it was a much better chance that I was getting a, a better indication of what the book was than I am now and that I'm waiting more now to hear either reviews or to... Um, have a thoughtful conversation with my sales rep, um, many of whom, you know, have to choose four to sort of really highlight on a sales call. Um, so yeah, that kind of information is, is helpful to know too. And then as an advocate, right, authors more so than maybe ever, I don't know that this is entirely the case, need to be advocates and spokespeople in the ways that they can be. And again, in an authentic way to them, I know that not every author is, is comfortable in different forms of media, but every author is comfortable in their form, right? So how can their form translate into being a voice of support for their work? Um, and I do, I think every author can do that and should do that um, in different, in the ways that feel authentic to them. Wow. Thanks so much. Um, we're so glad to have you as a as our guest on Booksmitten and giving us a peek into what it's like from your end on uh, and running a bookstore and buying books and choosing books for kids. So thanks for coming. Maybe I have one last question for Joanna. Um, uh, what would you say to someone who shows up at your store and tells you, "I'm writing a picture book"? What advice would you give them? Good one. <laughs> You'd be surprised at how many people do say that. It's a it's oh, wow. it's a wow. beautiful we joy and it can sometimes feel like a burden <laughs> because I am not I have never published. I I do have dreams of maybe one day publishing, but I I haven't been through the process. So I can't pretend to be the expert to that person, but I do. So my my first response to them is always one of gratitude, like thank you for wanting to Thank you for having a story inside of you that needs to be shared. A lot of folks who do that sometimes are young people, and I'm that is extraordinary to me. So that I always would would say just thanks. Keep going. Keep writing. Uh, rewrite. Have you rewritten? Have you looked at the manuscript? Um, have you connected with a mentor? There are lots of mentors available. Have you accessed SCBWI, which is um, yeah something I always recommend. So, and where are you in your process, right? Because a lot of times some folks will come to me. It's, it's like skipping lots of processes, lots of steps to come to me, right? And helping them understand <laughs> there are many steps in between your idea and the bookstore. The bookshelf, <laughs> for sure. And those steps are important and valuable, really yes. valuable. So think about no, those steps. But if it's just, if it's yeah. in draft one, you're, you're probably going to have at least 10 more drafts, right? At to make least. it great. And if you haven't yet connected with kids, an illustrator, like, that's another step. If you haven't yet found a mentor who's been through yep. the process in a similar way from what you're man, in a comparable sort of way, that's another step. Um, and there's lots, lots more steps, but I love that you're coming to me because you have a vision of my story could be in this place, right? And that's exciting mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't discount that. I love that. And there are a handful of folks for whom that has come to be, right? And that's magical because those folks have gone through all those steps really thoughtfully, right? Um, and and it, it gives me great pride and great joy. Um, but I do I honor the steps. I I really do. Um, and I would I do step away from folks who sort of want to um, bypass any of those steps. <laughs> Um, yeah. and discourage that. And because, right, like, right, bringing me your draft manuscript to put on my shelf is not, is not workable for us, right? And, um, and as a lover of language, as a lover of art, as a lover of story, I do, I deeply honor the process and the care of, of what it takes to, bind a story into yes. a keepsake, right? And I, I, so I, I want folks who have the instinct towards that to, to feel that honor too, and to, to become invested in the process of, 
of creating. Develop the persistence. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you. We appreciate your time sincerely. If you want to let our listeners know how to find you on social media or even in real life to stop by the store, could you give that information? And we'll also link that uh, for our episode as well. Yeah. So all all of our handles on media are at bookbug, B-O-O-K-B-U-G-K-Z-O-O. And that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Our website is bookbugkalamazoo.com. Dot com and we're a full service website. We do build book lists there of our favorites. We just posted our holiday gift guides under lots of different themes, including our favorite picture books of 2022. So if you're interested in those, those are posted there. Um, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to speak to each of you. I'm wishing you nothing but great success in your process and your progress. Um, I've, yeah, I just, I'm grateful to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Joanna. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Heather, I I was listening to your reactions during that whole thing, and I felt like Joanna was just constantly blowing your mind about various (laughs) subjects and ideas. (laughs) Well, it was just that, um, you know, a local community bookstore is so much more than just a a building that sells books. And I think redefined, as she talked about, the, the big corporate giants that also try to getting on this business that independent bookstores are um, a huge part of any community. And the more we tap into that and engage together, just the better the community grows. So there were a lot of, I wasn't really expecting that much big thinking um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on every level from choosing a book to engaging yes. with the schools. So yeah, it was, it was really refreshing to hear Joanna and her big view of her role and even moving into a community to perform that role. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's really cool. I think it's a call to action to us too, um, to be more intentional about supporting those cornerstones of literacy in our communities. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I got from it. And I was very glad we got to hear from her, her end of things, I think, because that's a clear face to what the mission is. Whereas some of the other companies she referenced, you don't have that connection. So let's go with connection to our listeners and to ourselves. Let's go with connection and Absolutely. let's be intentional about that support. And I, I think I think she also said uh, shed so much light on just parts of the the process of manuscript to bookshelf or mm-hmm. manuscript to readers' hands that are you know normally like opaque to many of us who are not in you know even who those of us who are writers right I think like that aren't in the kind of like book selling side of the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think like you know that, that it can be very overwhelming to think about to be honest like like all the different things and and how how many um, barriers there are to like getting a book into a child's hands like what she was talking about with you know outdated book lists for instance um, but I, I think like in you know with all of that I, I it comes down to you know what she also was saying and what many of our guests have said is that it comes down to just like the story mm-hmm. to like really great stories. Mm-hmm. And that, that is something that you as the author um, have, like, that's the thing you can control in, in this thing and you can tell a great story. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we are um, still digesting <laughs> the meal. <laughs> that Joanna set before us. And we're grateful for that. We're grateful to you, our listeners, for joining us for another episode on uh, Booksmitten with the crew here. Thank you for listening. Um, I am Kelly J. Baptist here with Heather Shoemaker, Jack Chang, and Patrick, you are in our hearts. Um, He'll be joining us again um, on the next episode, we hope. Uh, we like to put some shout outs to our producers, Josie and Corey Schneider. Thank you for the work that you do on our episodes and the music, awesome music by Duck Duck Chicken. So to our listeners, if you wouldn't mind rating and sharing um, this podcast with your writer friends, your listener friends, your reader friends, we definitely appreciate it. And feel free to join us on this season's Picture Book Challenge. Hopefully you're along with us on the journey of writing our own picture book. 
Um, and then you can hashtag that book smitten challenge on Twitter. You can follow us at book smitten pod. And then feel free to drop questions or comments to us at hello at booksmitten.us. Hope you guys have a great afternoon and we will see you on the picture book bookshelf. Bye. Bye.